So we just got off externship here in Arkansas, and uh, in the midst of answering questions, Ryan shared uh, a frame about when people come in with affairs directly, like that's their presenting issue. And it was a frame. I'm like, this is really helpful, Ryan. And so that's what we're going to talk to you about today to help you when couples are coming in hot after, after an affair. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today is the three cycle. Well, really, it's a quick look at a fair recovery. And what we're going to be focusing on, though, for Ryan and I, we'll see how it goes. But I want to talk about particularly in the early part. We're still talking stage one early sessions, and we're not even talking about resolution type stuff in stage two right now to me. And the reason why this topic is important, I think, is because so many therapists, it's, you know, they come in, it's like, you know, we get that we can't resolve the affair until stage two. But what do we do with the energy that is being presented when they come in for the affair? We can't just tell them to put it off, which is right. We can't ignore it. That would be misattuning. But um, then Ryan shared this idea of the th- of looking at there are really kind of three cycles you could look at around when they're coming in, and it was organizing. So let me say the cycles now. Make sure I get this right, Ryan. Right. So of course, what's going to be impacted by the affair, and this already there before, and Lori Watson would be happy to hear us talk about this. There's the sexual cycle, you know, meaning who's the one that usually pursues sexual intimacy? Are they able to talk about sex uh, sex in their relationship, and what does it mean for them? that's definitely going to be impacted by the affair because it's going to be like this place that's been kind of violated or betrayed of trust there. And so that could cause someone to maybe either shut down kind of in a way, like turn that part of them off. Or for some people, it can make them kind of ratchet it up a little bit. Maybe if I engage in this more, it can help bulletproof our marriage in a way. So there's just different cycles that can happen there. So we need to know what did it look like before the affair? What did it look like afterwards? Then there's also the cycle that occurred that was going on in the relationship before the affair. And just a quick little side note, never, you know, sometimes people have maybe missed this. We're never trying to use that cycle to make an excuse for the affair. But the affair did happen in a relational context, and we need to understand that cycle. And for many of our couples, this is what I've typically heard. We've never been able to do anything hard. So even in their relationship before, they couldn't really have deep, hard, vulnerable conversations. And now there's been an affair. And there's a lot of pain and mistrust. So do you think if the previous cycle couldn't handle it, now their their ability to handle it, it feels like, hate to use a kind of like a guy's metaphor, but like, you know, I was just working out this morning. If I could only squat 250 and then I, I barely buckled under 250 pounds and someone's like, hey, let's try 300, James. That's not going to work out so well. And that's what's happening for our couples. They couldn't even handle what the what the other cycle was like before. Now we've added on more weight to it now with the affair. And so what we've got to be able to work with, and I think when Ryan was sharing it, that was helpful to me, and we'll turn it over to him, is, and now we've got to look at, particularly for that couple coming in, we can't resolve it in stage one, but we do, as we've had Leanne on here, and she's talked about some of this before, we do have to go towards the pain that's coming up now after the affair. And what does it look like when the pain of this affair, when it comes up, when you try to talk about it, when you have these memories, when you have these flashbacks? What happens in your relationship when they, when that pain comes up in the relationship? 
So that's just a quick summary of the different three cycles and, and why this matters to help organize the process. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's good. Good stuff. I, I, my preferred language, and it doesn't even matter what we call it, except for just communication, is base cycle, sexual cycle, and then the fray. Just trying to make it as simple as possible. Uh, Lori and George, whom I love, they, they, their distinction is the emotional cycle versus the sexual cycle. I prefer the term base because the, the base cycle includes way more than just emotion, but we're talking about the same things. So first of all, affairs are hard. Affair recovery is hard. Talking about monogamous relationships where there's been a breach of trust and a betrayal and, <clears throat> you know, it, and it's long-term therapy. And I have an appreciation for short-term therapies, um, but not for fair recovery, because this is hard. And when, when, when you get an intake and it says there's been an affair or in session one, it's like, all right, this is going to be, you know, at least, if, if it goes well, six, eight months, a year, two years, because you're managing at least two grief processes, you're really balancing mm. two or three cycles you just can't do it quickly. And I've seen people try to get over affairs quickly, and that does not work very well. It's usually just avoidance. So all that to say, there's a lot of pressure on the therapist oftentimes to deal with the affair just now. And, yeah. and people get mad. Even the therapists get mad when, I, when, when we talk about that attachment injury is really a stage two event for the therapist. <clears throat> people are like, we can't wait that long. Well, what are you going to do? You don't even know these people. <laughs> you don't even have alliance. You don't have, you don't even know what you're talking about. So to, to open the details of an affair, you know, early on just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. With permission from a, a trainee years ago, I'll tell a story. I may have told it before, but it's a good one. And I was just teaching on uh, stage two attachment injuries and why we, we prefer to wait to do them. And then I want to get back to the three, the point. But anyway, she, she is a, a family member who's a military person, and she has a family member who, who um, lost a leg mm. in combat and, uh, and, and kept a leg in combat. And ironically, both legs were severely injured, but one of them was so severely injured that they had to go out on the battlefield, and they did surgical stuff right out there. And that's the leg that was eventually had to be amputated. The other one, they were able to stabilize it long enough, and I think they flew to Germany and had the surgery in a surgery room, and they were able to save that leg. So that was her metaphor, and I'm like, can I use that? She's like, yes. It's a great metaphor. You start trying to open attachment injuries before you've stabilized the cycle, it, a lot of bad stuff can happen. And sometimes it just happens, and you just do the best you can. But as a rule, trying to open details of an affair, if you ever – open all the details, doing it early on, even if that's what a client wants, usually it's a pursuer or the betrayed party. I want, I want you to know that there's danger there. You don't even know what you're dealing with. And what are you going to say anyway, if they go through all the details of the affair? So backing up a little bit, it's a great idea to think about three cycles, their base cycle, their sexual cycle, and their fray. And then there's one of those three is where we really have to enter. So a hard one here. And I, you know, there's a lot of people who specialize in affair recovery. And I wouldn't say that I'm one of them, but I have taught it for years. Even long before I was EFT, I taught affair recovery in graduate school. 
But I don't know. I don't think that's really – I would not consider that an area of, necess- of, of specific expertise per se. Anyway, so a, a really common question that people are buzzing over is why this happened, whose fault is this? And it, it's really sort of a trap situation for the therapist. So, you know, I was mentored by a person who said, I'll just say to people, look um, – both of you have some responsibility and how their relationship got sick. You are 100% responsible for your choice. And I, I do find people kind of look at you and kind of shrug their shoulders and go, yeah, I guess that's right. And so that base cycle, you know, um, is important to unpack at least a little bit. Can you take a minute and help me understand how your relationship was before, before this all happened? I don't want to suggest that affairs happen because needs weren't being met. I think that's a common cultural idea. It's oversimplified. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons affairs happen. There's sexual reasons. There's emotional reasons. There's childhood trauma reasons. There's all kinds of reasons that people step out of a relationship. So it's not as simple as, well, if all your needs were being met, you wouldn't have cheated. That's not true. But it is important to know what was going on and what was, what was missing you know, were we able to repair our bond very often? Most of the time, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. We had things blocking our bond. We need to unpack that in that base cycle work before the affair. Then the sexual cycle. Sometimes there's not a ton of things in the sexual cycle. Most of the time there is. And once again, you can get way too linear and be like, oh, well, you weren't getting your sexual needs met at home. So that's why you went out way oversimplified. I don't think that's very accurate. But it is important to know, you know, was someone being turned down a lot? Did, did, did both of us stop initiating? How'd that cycle go? Who was the sexual pursuer? Who was the sexual withdrawer? Did the, did the pursuer burn out? Did the withdrawer lean out? You know, what those, those two cycles give us really important context attachment-wise to make sense of what happened before we start to address uh, the affair, whatever way we're going to do it. But the bottom line is you have to enter in the third cycle. So I've seen a lot of people try to do EFT um, by setting up, going into the affair story, trying to set up emotion in there. And that's misattuned right off the bat. What we need to set up our work in is when you two try to have a conversation about this affair, tell me how your conversation goes. And we'll talk more about that right after the break. We want to take a minute to promote the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy, or ICEFT. ICEFT is the parent organization of all things EFT. We would love to ask you to consider checking out their website. A visit to the research page alone is worth it. If EFT is your clinical and professional home, it makes so much sense for you to join us at ICEFT. ICEFT is a great way to stay connected with EFTers all over the world. And even Dr. Sue Johnson is on our listserv. You can ask questions uh, on a email system. Um, you can hear about trainings going all over the world. Please consider joining the International Center for Excellence in EFT, ICEF.com. So getting into this phrase cycle, Ryan, this was the one that really clicked and I thought it would be helpful for the listeners, which is why I'm like, Ryan, we got to talk about that. Is in stage one, and we don't want, because partly we do care about you all. We don't want you to feel powerless. Like you just got to tell your clients to wait. But what you do need to do to set them up successfully 
going back to I was in the military and I was a medic, so his leg uh, story does hit for me, is when I used to work with the surgeons, before they just went and cut things open, they had to assess the lay of the land. They would do x-rays say, like, what does the structure look like? Do they have the blood vessels to be able to handle this? Is their body strong enough before I cut them open? And they're saying, like, I do have to do some due diligence. You need recovery, but I need to do some due diligence before I just cut you wide open and try and fix something. That's a good surgeon. And this fray part to me is like, this is what people need in stage one. So I just got to check here. I know that, you know, you've probably tried to do things around this affair. You've probably tried to talk about the pain. And there's probably a part for the partner who injured their partner. There's probably a part of you that tried. So I need to understand what does it look like when you try and deal with the pain and the chaos that has ensued after this affair? So we want it because then that gives us some assessment. Are they trying? Is there some brokenness and kind of contrition? Is there this sense of where the other partner can't access their pain and they're not weaponizing their pain, but they're actually looking for resolving their pain? It helps us get a good lay of the land of what are they even trying to do? Um, and then we get to also see where do they get stuck? Where does it break down? In a Sue Johnson way, Sue would say, I need to see it happen in front of my eyes a little bit so I understand what I'm working with. Yeah, it's good. We have to enter in the fray. That's where they are. That's their here and now present process together. You know, so people don't think this exists, but it does exist. There is such a good thing as a, a natural affair recovery. I've seen it a few times, not very many times, but that's partially because I'm a clinician. Mm -hmm. But in my personal life with friends, you know, I walked in a room one time with two people who are married to each other, completely caught me off guard. They were had big tears going on, and I'm like, you guys all right? And they unpacked that, you know, like two days before, one of them had, you know, made a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. And and that person just completely sh showed remorse, and I made, it, I made the worst mistake in my life. And the other party was, you know, it wasn't like we're doing great, but there was a sense of like, all right. And it was an attuned response to something terrible. It, it does exist. And so, so, but most people, in, or actually all people in clinical settings, or uh, most is a good word, most people in clinical settings, they can't do a repair like that. So this becomes a vicious cycle as they talk about this horrible thing. So we must enter in their failed repair attempt. My point is this. It's not that the affair happened. It's that the conversation of repair is blocked. I can't make that affair not happen. I can't make you forget. I can't even make you grieve. I might can clarify the process and help you organize, and I can sort of be with you in the pain, but grief happens as it happens. That's a physiological process as much as it is emotion. So that's not the, so the question isn't that. The question is, what is blocking our ability to be responsive to each other? What is the dynamic that we get caught in as we try to take initial steps to repair um, from the affair? Nugget alert. Nugget alert. <laughs> so wait, I got to go back. That's that was, a new one right there. It is. Okay. I, I just pressed the button. I didn't really say it. But, that was, but anyway, <laughs> that, was a, that was a good line you just ran right there, Ryan. It's not just that the affair happened. It's that the conversation for repair is blocked. Mm -hmm. And that's where we come in. And that's the huge part. That's what we're trying to do in stage one. So it's like trying to once again jump in and fix something that you haven't assessed yet. Where does it get blocked? Mm -hmm. Are you two even trying to make a repair? Mm -hmm. You know, 
and so that that's that was a great attachment way of trying to say that but i just want to make sure they caught that line yeah and in stage one when we're doing our stabilization work we want to give weight to the affair as we track the cycle you can't ignore it but if you open it you're doing battlefield surgery so you're probably going to run into some painful things so but you can't ignore it either you want to give it weight as you track out their fray as you you know find the trigger or danger cue in the conversation they try to have about the affairs where you're looking for the danger cue the trigger and you get that attachment message and you say what happens for your heart right in this place and they talk about the hurt and the and the you know the fears that's when the therapist needs to say so in this place is when the the images come back mm. of being lied to or the images come back of your partner being with somebody else and this takes you even darker like they need to see and experience that you see it otherwise if i ignore it too much i'm going to cue their body to come give me more details and more anxiety which actually increases the cycle so we want to give it weight without opening it so catch what ryan did there because that's the thing i think some people maybe have misheard or maybe whatever but we can't ignore and pretend like it's not there. That would be a huge danger signal for the person who's been injured because it's like maybe their partner struggles to acknowledge it. Now, if the therapist doesn't acknowledge it, then I'm really alone. But catch what Ryan did. He didn't try and solve it. He's letting them know. I do see. So when it does come in, this is the reality you live with now. This is a hard thing. And that he keeps giving it like, I know it's there. I see it. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you with it. And... And so that I just wanted you to catch that distinction. He's giving life to it, and he's then it almost gives their brain some permission. Oh, I don't have to be the one that's hyper vigilant to make sure I keep it out there. My therapist is helping me do some of it. Okay, I can trust the process a little bit more. Yes, and and we just, you know, you got to kind of free yourself from the other two cycles. I see therapists trying to do all three at once, and it creates even more chaos in a situation that's already chaotic. We want to let that base cycle. And that sexual cycle kind of sit to the side as we enter to the fray so that we can later affect the other two cycles. So it's part of the assessment, but then we're really trying to affect those other two as we enter at the fray level. Which is, it is very congruent with Bowlby's theory of attachment, right? Like when he even talks about the five kind of systems of attachment, the sexual and like filial, all those, they cannot be accessed when there's a huge uh, fear cue that's going on. The, the body is going to privilege the thing that makes it afraid. So this is very congruent with attachment theory to say, like, if they keep failing in their repair attempts, we can't try and necessarily just go in and solve the sexual cycle or even go back and repair that old cycle that was going on before the affair. We've got to go towards their repair, their failed repair attempts after the affair. Right. And I, I, every time I teach this, I have to tell this story because it was such a seminal piece for me. And, and I'll just... As I tell the story, I've changed like 15 details, so, but it, it'll make the point. You know, and, and credit to Jim Furrow here, who's one of the smartest people I know, one of the best people I know as well. And he was doing a training somewhere years ago, and it was an affair recovery training. And long story short, uh, a really bad affair had happened. Uh, I don't mean that in a judgmental way, meaning it was just, there's just factors that make some of them worse than others. One, the person who cheated didn't tell. They, ha they were exposed by someone else, which doesn't help. There was a lot of lies. The affair took place in the bedroom of the couple. I mean, just some really painful places at work. 
with one, I mean, just all kinds of variables that made this really difficult. So here's what's interesting. On the surface, the couple was able to do a lot of really good things, but they were stuck. And Jim just did a beautiful job of, of Tango One, which we often say on this show is the hardest, maybe the most important part of this, you know, is maintaining focus, you know, Tango One and Two. So Tango One, reflecting present process. What is the present process? It would have been super easy to go chase any of those horrifically emotional, attachment-rich aspects of the story. Mm. And they all would have been mistakes. They would have been behind or in front of where these people actually are. So here's where Jim unpacks for them, and it was a career changer for me. I'm sure Jim listens to every episode, so how you doing, Jim? <laughs> Unlikely. No, but bottom line is their present process was this. The person who had the affair had tons of remorse. They really did. And it was, it was noticeable in this session. It's really beautiful. So much so that uh, this person would like meet their partner who, who was the betrayed one at their car and like escort them in and had dinner made and bought flowers literally every day. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful gesture. And I'm thinking, that sounds pretty good. What are we missing? And so he would, th- this person would show all this remorse. And so the, the betrayed partner would take in those gestures. I'm like, that sounds pretty good too. What are we missing? That's the right question. We're, we're looking for the fray, right? So where does this fail? Where does this get blocked? So as this person would, would do all these really kind gestures and show remorse, the betrayed party would start to feel safer and start to feel closer to their partner whom they loved. But grief is a truth teller. So as they would start to get a little closer, it was just early on in the process, even the closeness would trigger her memories of betrayal. So it would activate her grief. So she would kind of appropriately start to share, I'm afraid, I feel wounded, I, I don't know that I can trust you, you know, and it, it, was, it was appropriate grief. And so this person who had done all this work, though, they would see that person drop into vulnerability and it would trigger them. And all of a sudden that person would be like, this is never going to work. You're never going to forgive me. We might as well. I don't know that I can keep living. So the betrayed party would see that they would shut their grief part. They would shut their grief part down and they would go attend to the person who had the affair and and then that person would stabilize and go back to performing and buying flowers and making dinner but that is their current cycle so what we have is these pockets of grief that we've never been able to move and they become tumor like Mm. because there's a failed repair attempt cycle that they get stuck into and so as Jim tracked that out we started having small enactments about that conversation, not the big picture stuff about the relationship, the base cycle, or the, or the details of the affair. And that's when traction began to take. Right. And that's a good example, by the way. I hope you all catch the cycle Ryan just laid out there, because I'm sure many of us might have that couple. Because what's missing there is the person's showing remorse when the pain isn't being directly expressed. And part of the recovery process has to be, after an affair, that the person who does need to be able to vulnerably and authentically express their pain. And when they're in their pain, that's when the person needs to move towards them with comfort. 
in it. And so that's the missing ingredient that was happening there. And they were getting stuck and they could they didn't know how to do it. And so they would just kind of back out to like a secondary cycle in a way. Mm-hmm. And what we know about attachment injury is it has two key points. The betrayed party needs to be able to look at the offending party, <coughs> excuse me, and see their pain reflected back in their eyes. So right from the start, that failed repair attempt blocked conversation, won't even allow that process to get started, much less to move towards resolution. So that is where they need you. And I'm going to tell you, man, that's a pretty, that's a pretty focused therapist who can lovingly sift through all those incredible details and stay focused on the target, which is when you two try to have this conversation, what happens? You know, not getting too lost in who's the pursuer, who's the withdrawer. What is the dynamic that happens that keeps the repair from starting the process to grieve well together? So the betrayed person has to sit with the pain that they have caused. And in order to do that, I've got to come to the betrayed partner and say, hey, I see what you're doing. This makes sense. It's a, it's a way of how much this matters to you. Mm-hmm. And, and you so want this not to be your story. You so want this to, to redeem this and to be trusted. Again, that is a beautiful part of you. I just need you to also know the cycle's twisting this. And what it says is, you know, your partner shouldn't feel this. And your partner can't, can't do their grief work and heal and recover and rebuild trust with you later on because they've got to come take care of you. So then what the cycle wants to do is forever have this the story of you. And so in our our very effort to make pain stop now, what we're doing is we're sending it for the next 20 years. So I guess for me, I'm trying to come alongside you and help us go through some hard things for a short time so this is not the story of who we are forever. Mm. So so that that is a really key reframe and reset for the person who did the betraying because they're people too. And we all make mistakes. And they're just as worthy of love. Just because they've done something wrong doesn't mean they are something bad. And yet, if you just tell them that, doesn't have doesn't do a lot of good. But if I can join them in their fray, now we got a chance to start to get some traction. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I, I don't know if that's all right. If I, are we good for starting going for the summary now? Yeah. So I, I want to make this clear because I think this is such a big thing for our field because that many times this is how our couples are going to come to us after something really horrific has happened, and they're like, "Okay, we've put this off long enough, and we have to do something now." So to be able to come in and have these three cycles, the base cycle, the sexual cycle, and the fray cycle, and get a good assessment on that early on and let them know, like, hey, this is really important. And before we go in, and I'm going to go towards the affair. I'm holding that. But I need to be really clear before we go in and start trying to do deep surgery for a moment to know where the bro- all the brokenness is um, so we can just properly hold this for you, too. I love your metaphors, by the way. I think medical metaphors are helpful. Mm-hmm. Most people understand, hey— I hear you. You need surgery. I need x-rays. I need MRIs. I got to slow this down. Lab work. If you, if you guys are still going 100 miles an hour, we're going to make things worse. Can, can I buy some time here and let me get oriented to you to get to know you before we do this? Like, just being explicit can be there helpful. And take that away. That is a practical. You, in this part, you need to be explicit with both of them. One, the person who had the affair if you're not talking about it, like trying to fix it right away, they need the reason, why should I trust you? Right. Then also the other person on the other side that did this, like, 
what are you doing? Are you about to right. blast me? So there they, so if you can be explicit, it helps them hold a little bit. Like, okay, you got a plan here. I'll go with you. And then it makes some sense. You're right. Like, yeah, we have tried to do that and it hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on your behalf. I know that you've been hurt. I'm working on your behalf. And also for you, I'm working on your behalf because I don't want to just go over here and cut open and, and, and then cause more pain and hurt than already what your affair has already caused. So that's one part. So assessment, being explicit with the process, and just understanding the base cycle, the sexual cycle. But then, I like what Ryan brought in, is now let's get clear on the fray. Because it also assumes a positive in- intent. We assume that you have been trying and that you, even in your best efforts. So one, it, it earns trust with both partners. And you know what? That's going to be hard for them maybe. I shouldn't say hard. They might not even realize that the other person has been trying in their own way. Like, oh. They have. I did not know that's no what, doubt. I didn't know that's why you were doing what you were doing. Mm-hmm. I only thought you were doing this because you thought I was a horrible jerk and I was going to always have to be in this position mm-hmm. all the time. I didn't know that was your way of trying to solve it or try to fight for us. Mm-hmm. Or I just thought you didn't care and it was too much for you mm-hmm. and you were just looking out for yourself. I didn't know that there was any way you were trying to, mm-hmm. in a sense, protect us. There you go. So reflecting those attachment functions, once again, is key. And by the way, I shouldn't assume that people have listened. To, this may be the first one you've ever listened to. You may have found us on Facebook yesterday. So we've used the term fray pretty liberally here. We have a previous episode. What, do you know what episode that is? <laughs> I don't is? know right now. <laughs> fray just stands for failed repair attempts. Yet again. So what keeps a relationship from repairing is your first entry into um, where your clients need you. So we have a previous episode on this. If you're an EFT or Tango 1 is reflect the present process. It's actually brilliant, but I find people that, that just goes right over their head. They don't know what that means because that present process could mean a lot of stuff. So we're just interchanging those phrases here is like really track into their fray as tango one. Failed repair attempt is the present process. Mm-hmm. This is our leading edge of how far we've been able to get closer towards a repair and therefore we're this is where we're blocked. So the fray is this lovely x-ray into what's keeping the blood from circulating, so to speak, to the bond. Yep. And so some ways, once we get the fray, some things we might do with it in stage one, we'll get the fear and probably have them do enactments around the fear or the stuckness in stage one. We might do some process enactments in stage one with the fray. Like this is what I go to, but I see when I go to this, I see that this is what ends up happening in our cycle though but it's just all I know to do at this moment. And what we're trying to do with all those enactments around the fray is just stabilize them, give them a little bit of safety, get a little bit of clarity, help them see that they are making these attempts and how their attempts are probably landing on their partner yeah. and building enough safety. And, and just getting them out of story a little bit, a little more into a sharing of self. That's right. Not completely, just a little bit. That's right. But what you find is people come in, I got my story, I got yours. And, and the more the therapist lets me tell, lets my partner tell their story, now I got to come and tell, share mine. And I've had, you know, I've only had maybe 20 or 30 people walk out of my session my whole career, which is almost 25 years, but about half of them were a fair recovery. And they're just like, I can't, I can't hear this yeah. now, on either side. And so, you, you know, you really want to, you want to jump into that fray and keep some focus. And I like that saying that, Ryan, like, and we are getting them to do some vulnerability a little bit at a safe dose though, right now, mm-hmm. because we have to build them up to get them ready for what's going to happen in stage two when we fully do lean into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else was I going to say was a good clear? I think that was pretty much the practical things. And what we're, once again, we're just trying to help you like when they come in hot, 
with the pain of their fare as the frontline issue. You've got to have a plan. Oh, that's the other practical thing that Ryan said that was good was keep naming that you see the affair. Make it clear. Make it explicit. I know we can't go and solve it, but I see right now that these images keep coming back up for you. Even when there's good things that happen, you this memories just come back and haunt you. I know. I see this is hard. This is real hard. I don't know. I'll just add one more piece because I, when I when I have this talk, people are like, can you just give me a little bit of look of what happens next? So l- let me just do the two minute version. Do it. So let's say that uh, each. And I'm totally just spitballing these numbers, but just just to kind of give a little bit of a vision. Let's say that we hang in there for those first ten or twelve sessions, fifteen sessions of stabilization over the over the fray of an affair, and. All, and, you know, each side has done 15, 16 successful enactments. How bad I feel when I remember what happened. Mm. How bad I feel when I imagine that look on your face when you found out. Right. And it is OK for that person to comfort the other party who, who is guilty as long as it doesn't function to diminish their grief story. And for sure, we want to have the betrayed party to see and as much as they can respond to the, the impact of the betrayal. But let's say that 15, 16 enactments on each side and, and they, they come back in and say, hey, you know, we're better. We're better. This has been the first time. It's been 22 weeks or whatever since the affair happened. This is the first week we've had where it's only come up twice. Normally, it was we were fighting about it nine times a day. This week it's been better. We had a bad night, you know, but we had a we had a good date, you know, and they start to report improvement, right? And you can start to make little tests for de-escalation. We've talked about that on previous episodes, and they start to seem like they're de-escalated. The next move might be, I like Sue's point about setting up a platform, and you might just say, hey, I wonder if it's time, guys, to, to go through what happened that day. And and here's what and why. So, so betraying partner, you know, you deserve, again, to not have this be the story of who you are. Mm. And you deserve the rest of your partner, who I think in some ways is stuck in that car where, where they found out that day, right? And so you, you in some ways have, have lived with uh, half of your partner. And you deserve to have this. And you deserve this not to be the story the rest of your life. That's why we're doing this. I'm not opening this to make you feel bad. And to the other partner, I want you to know I'm not doing this to try to trigger you, to make you feel bad, to try to bring up the past. I really believe there's parts of you that might be still stuck in that car where you got that Instagram message that someone found out about this. And and of course, of course, you would have to sort of separate yourself a little bit just to survive that. I wonder if we could all three go back and find you. So if it's okay, everybody good with that? So it's a safety platform. You've redone informed consent before we now open the affair. And that would be not so much the details of the sexual act, but rather the details of when that person found out. So if it's okay, I want to come into the Toyota Corolla with you and you two are in the front seat and I'm in the back. And I just want to make sense of this. So Walk me through how you got that message. What did you see? What did you hear? Now we're queuing up. We're activating the responses that before we were stabilizing. And then we're going to do an EFT to that. And, and we're going to have them enact and respond 
over and over and over until we restructure um, a restructuring of at least two of those three cycles uh, with deeper enactments. So that's just a quick, it's not exhaustive, but just a quick look at where we're going and why we're setting it up the way we are uh, in stage one. So three quick announcements. I feel like now we need to have Sue come on and talk about her safety platform. Yep. Um, but also we need to see if Toyota would be a sponsor for us. <laughs> no. Um, no. But here is a, a real announcement I do have. Um, so the next couple episodes you're going to hear from Ryan and I are all generated by you, the listener. And we've got a board here in the studio, James's office, uh, and it's got a list. We, we're going to try and get some th- – uh, we're going to talk about EFIT, uh, using process reflections uh, in EFT, uh, tempo. Somebody asked about getting clear about the O in tempo and how that works. Uh, someone talked about stage one. I think we covered a little bit of some of what they asked about in stage one. Uh, this one came directly from De'Aaron in New Orleans, so shout out De'Aaron. Uh, but he wanted to know, like, when couples come in stage one with a lot of pain, you know, what do we do in the early, particularly, like, even in session one? He was really, what do you do when, like, the, the reactivity hits the room in session one? Uh, and then the dilemmas, getting clear on how to do dilemma work with a pursuer and how do you run the dilemma with the withdrawal. And then what's another one? What do you do when you have a withdrawal, withdrawal cycle uh, couple? So I'm excited about those topics coming up. And if you have any other ones you'd like to share, go to our Facebook page or Instagram and, and share them with us. I got one more announcement. Uh-oh. We're going to have the first ever leading edge <sighs> training in person. I can't believe I almost forgot that. And you're yeah. all invited. Uh, yeah. It's going to be the second week of November of 2023. So it's coming up pretty quickly. So uh, the second week in November 2023, it's going to be in uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll put more details on our uh, show notes. But mm-hmm. uh, we'd love to have you if you want to uh, jump in with us. The first leading edge training, the leading edge after course skills. That's right. Is what we're calling that. And what it's going to be on the specific topic, what we're going to do in those two days is how to navigate the changes in emotional reactivity throughout the session. So when couples are kind of open and more vulnerable in a softer spot, how do you work with that? Finish the mission. But also when they're reactivity, how do you adjust to that? And so Ryan and I are just going to do little small teaches, but it's going to be repetition after repetition. And so once again, that'll be the 10th through the 11th of November in uh, Dallas. So come have some fun with us in Dallas. You'll have both Ryan and I at the same time. That doesn't happen too often. So anyway, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com and you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, ryanreynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at DocHawkLPC. You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.